Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter 35. And as I was saying in the video, <laughs> we're having a class on systematic theology in the Family Life Center. It's at 9.30. We just started this week, so hopefully if you missed today's introduction, you can come this next Sunday and join in in that class. It should be a great, enjoyable semester. So hopefully you can come and join us. So Genesis 35, as we continue our survey through the book of Genesis, and uh, this is part two of our discussion from last week. But let's just remind ourselves of the text at hand, starting in verse one of Genesis 35. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel, so he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. A, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. And Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying... She called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. 
Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Years ago, as a new young pastor, Kathy and I had an opportunity to go to a retreat center. And having been in the business world and now moving into ministry, I'd only been at it for just a couple years, I didn't really understand, I didn't really appreciate the burden that I was carrying around in being a pastor as a young man in full-time ministry. And so we go to this retreat center, this, this time where we could just get away. About five or six other pastors were there in this mansion that someone had provided, and they, they fed us and took care of us for a week. Just a time to get away and to be renewed spiritually. And I remember one day in particular, Kath and I were in this really awesome library room in this mansion that we were staying in. And I was reading scripture and, you know, just contemplating, you know, this, like I said, this burden I was carrying for other people. And uh, I was a little bit overwhelmed with what it meant to be a pastor. You know, this is all new to me. I'd only been doing it a couple years. And I remember stepping out of this library into the hallway. And in the hallway was this pretty nice size, big picture. And maybe you've seen it. It was a picture of Jesus Christ, and there's a man who's kind of collapsing into Jesus' arms, and underneath it, it says, well done, good and faithful servant. I saw that, and I just, I just lost it. And of course, just then, as I'm starting to lose it emotionally, you know, someone comes into the corridor, and I'm like, oh, oh no. You know, someone's going to see, you know, some guy blubbering out here in the hallway. So I, I ducked back in the library and kind of went and grabbed the book and sat down. But there was a, in that moment, I was just a little overwhelmed. And sometimes life is like that. We're carrying burdens, all of us. We all walked in here carrying things that nobody can see. And some of the things that we're carrying, some of them are huge. Sometimes when things are really hard, we find it very difficult to worship our Heavenly Father. It's easier to worship Him when everything is going great. But will we worship Him when our hearts are heavy or when we have suffered another disappointment or when we feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling? It's in these low times that we should seek Him all the more. It has been said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And one of the best ways we can find our satisfaction and our comfort in Christ is through worship. And the good news is that we can worship God with all our people anytime, anywhere. We can worship God in the presence of our enemies and in the face of sorrow. And we can worship him for his trustworthy promises as he works wonders in our lives. We can worship him through great joy and great loss. And we can worship him even when others turn away. As we'll see today, as we seek his face and exercise our dependence on him through worship, we will most certainly find the satisfaction and comfort we're all longing for as we draw close to him. This is part two of a two-part message in the middle of our series in Genesis. Last week, we saw in this passage that God is calling all of us to worship him. 
We saw that it is good to go up to God's house to worship and that it's good to make our abode with him and it's good to experience his revelation. But secondly, last week we saw that we should prepare ourselves to worship and the question was, well, how do we do that? How should we prepare ourselves to worship God? We saw last week we need to bury our old way of life by putting off sin, by putting on Christ, and by creating an environment of worship in our lives, and by remembering all that he has done for us. But now we have the third portion of this message today. We've gone back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. From the very beginning, God has created us to be in relationship with him. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, we disrupted God's perfect plan through our rebellion against him in the Garden of Eden. Subsequently, God promised that he would redeem a people unto himself through the seed of a woman. A child was promised who would come into the world and destroy the evil one once and for all. And as the book of Genesis unfolds, we've seen the seed line of our promised redeemer traced through Adam and Eve's son, Seth, eventually to Noah, and eventually to Terah, who's Abraham's father. And with Abraham, God promised to be Abraham's God and to bless Abraham and his descendants. But God's threefold blessing to Abraham included the promise of land, the promise of a, a multitude of descendants, and an ongoing relationship of blessing. And from Abraham, the seed line of a promised redeemer continued through Isaac, and then to Isaac's son Jacob. But now with Jacob, we find someone with questionable character. He steals his brother Esau's birthright and blessing, and then Esau threatened to kill Jacob, so he escaped to the north to where his uncle Laban lived only to find himself encountering hard labor and deception under Laban. And then God called Jacob to go home, and on his way he encountered Esau, but Esau doesn't kill him. And these two brothers end up receiving and embracing one another in an amazing moment. And then Jacob then endures the treachery of his own sons, as we saw recently with Simeon and Levi, with the neighboring tribes who now fear and despise Jacob's presence. It's in the middle of all this that, that God calls Jacob to turn aside and to worship him at a place where God first met Jacob, Bethel, which literally means God's house. The question we have today is, how should we prepare to worship? When can we worship? Well, I have seven truths for you from this passage to share with you. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, your very word to us, help us not to miss anything you might have for us. Lord, we know that there's no one here by accident, but by your divine hand, you've brought us together for your purposes. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be our guide, you would be our teacher, that our hearts and our minds might be open to hear what you have to say through the power of your word, by your spirit. So, Lord, have your way in this moment. Help us to take all that we can from you today, that we might be encouraged, that we might be built up as we walk with you. So, Lord, thank you. We want to give you all the praise. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. Now, if you have your sermon notes outlined, I've already filled in the first two points for you on the front page, but flip it over. There's seven more. The question is, when? When can we worship God as we prepare to worship him? When can we do it? First of all, we can worship God in the presence of our enemies. Notice what it said in verse 5, And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. 
Why was there a terror? Well, because Simeon and Levi just destroyed a town just down the road. And so the surrounding neighbors are a little upset, a little concerned. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. They left them alone because they seemed like they're dangerous people. Again, from two weeks ago, we saw that Jacob was right. Jacob and his family had become odious to the inhabitants of the land because of this massacre that took place at the hands of Simeon and Levi. The question is, can we, can you worship when you are surrounded by your enemies? King David knew about worshiping in the presence of his enemies. You recall, David was in the wilderness being chased around by a madman, a crazy guy who kept chucking spears at him. There's a sound effect on that. Now, it's amazing. David never takes the spear and he never throws it back. That's amazing in its own right. But even though he's being chased by a crazy person, David writes things like this. You know the passage, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And just as David chose to worship in the valley of the shadow of death, we too can worship when we are surrounded by our enemies. And even though Jacob is surrounded by his enemies, Jacob chooses to worship as God beckoned him to do so. I don't know about you, but over the years, I've been stabbed in the back. I've been stabbed in the back by wonderful, awesome church people sometimes. And I am called to come and keep preaching and keep worshiping. And the only way I could do that was to ignore the enemies and put my faith and trust in him. I kept worshiping God no matter what. How about you? Is there anyone keeping you from worshiping God this morning? I hope not. Don't shrink back, press into it. Keep worshiping. We can worship God in the presence of our enemies, but not only that, we can worship God with all of our people. That's exactly what's going on here in our text. Verse six, and Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, Bethel, Baeth is house of El, God, the house of God, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people were with him. See, he's worshiping with all of his people. And there he built an altar, we're told. And he called the place El Bethel, God, the house of God, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother Esau. And this is amazing. As he flees and now he's coming back, Notice how it says your people, his children. Our children need to see our active dependence on God through our own worship. All that he is and all that he has done for you. Our children, our kids need to see our dependence on him. The great American pastor John Piper talks about the great value there is in our children seeing us worshiping God as we sing amazing things to God. 
You know, just think about your, your little boy sitting there watching you sing as you sing about, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And your boy, Dad, think of that, a thousand tongues, that'd be awesome. Yeah. And we stoke them up and we light their fire and get them all on board with worshiping our God. We need to worship with our people. Of course, different people have different preferences, right? Well, I'm not sure I like that kind of worship. I don't know if I can worship with those people the way they're worshiping. I don't like that kind of music. That's not my kind of music. I remember my dad a long time ago. My mom and dad, I'd grown up with my mom and dad down in Peoria, Illinois. We, we attended a huge church, 2,000 plus members. And they had a, a, an orchestra, a huge choir, and uh, Harold DeCou, Larry, you'll know, you know Harold DeCou on the organ. He used to tour the Billy Graham crusade, and this guy could light up a, and so can our Larry. Thank you, Larry, for what you do, lighting up our organ. And this guy could light this organ up like nobody's business. And so my dad and my mom, they move up by us to help us with our ministry as we planted a church, which was amazing in its own right. They did come help us, which we're so very thankful for. But now he's walking, my mom and dad are walking to a church, and, and here's a full rock band. And you know what? It was loud. What? On purpose. We, we cranked it, man. It was, we blew the doors off the place. It was loud. Why? Because 20-some years ago, we had to differentiate, differentiate ourselves from everybody else in town. You want something softer? You have to go somewhere else. But if you want something loud, this is the place for you. It was awesome. We rocked the joint. And I remember thinking, my dad's going to probably have a problem with this. I, I pulled my dad aside. I said, Dad, you know, how you doing with the music, sir? And dad's like, you know, I've worshipped here more fully than I've had for all the years when I was down in Peoria. I about fell over when he said that. You mean maybe it doesn't have to do with the form? Maybe it has to do with the heart? Maybe that's the issue? Let's not get loss in the form of our worship versus the heart of the focus of our worship. If what we're singing about doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. That's all I got to say. Because we just sang some things as Jeff led us, some incredible truths from God's word that should speak to our hearts. That should move us. Should, uh, God should be having his way by his spirit. But again, if you come to church with contempt, you're probably going to leave with contempt. But if you come with an open heart to receive from him, dwelling on the truths that we're experiencing with what we're singing, with what we're hearing, you will most certainly be blessed. So, beloved, where, where do we worship? How do we worship? When can we worship? We can worship God in the presence of our enemies. We can worship God with all of our people. But thirdly today, we can worship God in the face of sorrow. Verse 8, it says, And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. Alan Bakuth, the meaning of that in the Hebrew is the oak of weeping. This is all we know about Deborah. She was so mourned for that Jacob named the place for it. Alan Bokuth, the oak of weeping. We were all busted up. Remember when Deborah died that all, we were all so sad. Apparently she was very beloved. 
Have you ever come to church with a heavy heart? By the way, there's no better place to be. Singing his praises as the tears roll down. Perhaps it's a loss of a loved one or perhaps a broken relationship or a loss of a career or a horrible medical diagnosis. God knows it all full well and we can still worship him in the midst of our sorrow and our grief. Again, King David understood this psalm of anguish. Listen to what he says in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever felt like that? Why are you so far from saving me, David cries out, from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Notice how in the midst of his sorrow and his grief, he goes, but you're awesome, you're God, you're holy. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Notice how he pivots in the midst of his grief to understanding, you're my God, you've always been there. And this is where we need to go. This is what Jesus cried out as he was dying on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Years ago in my first pastorate down in Coldwater, Michigan, Kathy and I were going through a difficult time. We were experiencing some miscarriages. I remember one Sunday morning in particular, we, she had went, gone through another miscarriage. And it was a small little church, and there was nobody else who could preach. And so even though here I am, not doing well, but I had to help with leading worship that morning, and I shared the message. And I remember having a hard time getting through it all. But God did it. I just trusted him. I leaned into him in the midst of my grief. I didn't shrink back. I didn't run from it. As believers, we have an incredible hope that we can hold on to, even in the face of sorrow. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Beloved, we have an incredible hope to look to the future, no matter what we've lost. We're all going to be changed one day. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I've said that at every funeral I've ever preached. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even when we're broken and we're hurting, he still wins. And we hold on to that. And that carries us through no matter what. Beloved, we can worship God in the face of sorrow. We can worship God with all our people, in the presence of our enemies. But fourthly here, we can worship God as he works wonders in our life. God is in the midst of doing something. He's in the midst of changing us, making us, molding us into something beautiful. He's in the process of conforming us to the image of Christ. We can worship God as he works wonders in our life. 
Notice what it says in verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. God is changing this man. God is dealing with Jacob. And this is exactly what Jacob needs. This is exactly what I need. I need God to deal with me. We all need God to deal with us. God had changed Jacob's life forever. And once again, for his purposes, God points out Jacob's name change. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Yisrael shall be your name, Israel. God had made all the difference in Jacob's life, and he'll make all the difference in our lives too. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As he's changing our name, he's changing our character, he's growing us, he's maturing us. Paul adds in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what he's saying. He's not saying work for your salvation. Christ has done all the work. But now, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're in the process of working out your faith. Well, how long will that take you? Well, your whole life. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Oh, praise God for that. He's at work in each one of us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So do all things without grumbling or disputing. How you doing on that one? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Oh, that we just be light in a world of darkness, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, Paul says. So praise him as he changes you, as he makes you, as he molds you. Worship him for the changes he's making in your life. When you finally experience victory over sin, when you finally put the cigarettes away, when you finally put the pornography away, when you finally put the alcohol away, Praise him as he changes you. When you have a day of sobriety, a month of purity, when you say the right thing and you don't say the wrong thing, when you think the right thing and don't think the wrong thing. Again, if you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, he has forever changed your life. What is he already doing in you? What's he doing in all of us? What has he already done? We can praise him as he does wonderful works in us. But fifthly here, we can worship God for his trustworthy promises. Notice how God continues to restate this ongoing threefold promise. He said it to Abraham. He said it to Isaac. He said it previously to Jacob, and now he says it again in verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. And the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I'll give to you, and I'll give the land to your offspring after you. 
Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar. He set up a marker in that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. We've seen these promises and themes before in Genesis 12, Genesis 15. And notice thematically that this is the same promise that God had made to Jacob's grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. This promise of an ongoing relationship of blessing, a promise of descendants, and a promise of land. For us, this comes to completion in Christ where Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. He calls a multitude of people to himself through a relationship of blessing that we can have access to through faith in him. And I ask you, what promises from God can you sing about today as he promises to never leave you or forsake you, as he promises to forgive you all of your sin? This is our God. We can worship him for his trustworthy promises. But sixthly here, don't miss this, we can worship God through great joy and great loss. And now we have this horrible situation that takes place. In verse 16, it says, Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. But Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up another pillar, a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there on this day. And Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. If you know anything about this account, you know how much Jacob loved Rachel so much, and now she's gone And here we see the contrast of joy mingled with sorrow through the birth of a child and the loss of a wife. And yet another pillar is set up, a pillar of remembrance. I love what Jacob does here. Did you notice what Jacob did? As Rachel is breathing her last, as he loves Rachel with all of his heart, he chooses to name his son Benjamin, Benjamin, son of my right hand, even though she had a different name, son of suffering. I think it's incredible that in that moment he says, no, I know that you're leaving me, but it's not over. There's still a future and a hope. I'm not going to go with son of suffering. I'm going to go with this is the son of my right hand. And we too can make similar choices in the midst of our sorrow finding blessings in the midst of tragedy, seeing God at work in amazing ways behind the scenes on your behalf to help you with the grief that you're dealing with. As I mentioned, we had wrestled with some miscarriages. All told, we went through four miscarriages altogether. And the last one was really bad. We almost lost Kathy on the deal. And I don't know if you've ever been through this or not. It's a, it's a very difficult situation because there's all kinds of expectation and you have your hopes are, are just crushed. And remember when Kathy and I we went to the doctor 
And in God's sovereignty, as we go to this doctor, we sit down in the waiting room, and eventually we got into the doctor's office, and now we're waiting for the doctor to come in. And the doctor came in for a few minutes, and then he left, and then the doctor came back uh, with another fellow who came, with, came in with him. We didn't know who this guy was. All I can tell you about this guy that came with the doctor, some sort of an intern with him, he was the strangest-looking man I'd ever seen. He was, just str- he was very odd-looking, strange-looking. It's kind of a cross between, uh, oh, I don't know, it was like, it was like Beaker, the Muppet, and uh, uh, somebody else, uh, Lyle Lovett. You know, it was like that, kind of jammed together. He was just, just strange-looking. And we're kind of looking like, well, who is this? And this is serious, and this, you know. And the, and the doctor then says, well, I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Gilligan. I looked at Kathy, and it was over. We, we're, we're, we're trying not to laugh now. We were in this, supposed to be this serious, really sad moment, and we're just, we're, try, we're shaken because we just met Dr. Gilligan. And it's as if God says, look, okay, look, I got this. And he gave us a moment of levity in the midst of our brokenness that we remember and treasure to this day. We never saw the guy ever again. Just that moment, that day. This is what God does. Even in the midst of our sorrows and loss, we're able to hold on to him and hold on to each other. We can worship God through great joy and great loss simultaneously. But lastly here, and don't miss this because this is going to get very tragic. We can also worship God even when others turn away. And maybe you've been there where you've been walking with God and you've got dear people around you who you love, who are walking with God with you, and all of a sudden they just walk away. Verse 22 says, while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. You're like, what? This is perhaps the most serious, crazy, messed up thing here. Here Jacob's own son has taken Jacob's own handmaid, who Jacob had already had children with, and Reuben, his boy, lies with her. This is outright sin and rebellion, and yet Jacob chooses to continue to follow God and trust only him, even with the rebellion of his own son right in front of him. Beloved, we have to understand there are people who are going to rebel against God. They're going to walk away from the faith. I'd like to remind you that there were people in Jesus' day who listened to all that Jesus had to say. They listened, and they walked away. But we need to remain committed and faithful to God regardless of other people's commitments. We can't and we shouldn't base our faith on someone else's faith. We can't ride on the coattails of someone else's faith. Your faith, my faith in Christ, needs to be independent of others' strengths and failures. Yes, we desperately need each other. But when someone else walks away from God, that doesn't mean that you have to too. And by the way, this, is, this often happens in marriage. I know of a couple this last week, this, a husband's making horrible choices theologically. He's like leaving his faith, going after something else. He's been in church his whole life, and, he's, and it seems like his wife's just going to go right with him. And like, what are you doing? 
How could this be? Again, the question is, how will you live when everyone else is turning away from God? Will you remain faithful? And that's the challenge for all of us. I don't care if everybody runs away. I'm going to keep following him. I'm going to keep building my life on his truth. You can't change that for me. You can't. I hope that's the case for you. Beloved, worship shouldn't just take place at church. For me, I find myself worshiping God all the time, whether I'm driving, working, anywhere, anytime, in the midst of the beauty of his creation, with my kids, with my grandkids, with Kathy. When things are going well, yes. When things are not going so well, yes. Even when I'm hurting, yes. It has been said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And one of the best ways we can find our satisfaction and our comfort in Christ is through worship. The good news is that we can worship God with all our people anytime, anywhere. And we can worship God in the presence of our enemies and in the face of sorrow. We can worship him for his trustworthy promises as he works wonders in our own lives. And we can worship him through great joy and great loss and we can worship him even when others turn away. And as we seek his face and exercise our absolute dependence on him through worship, we will most certainly find the satisfaction and the comfort that all of us are longing for as we draw close to him by his grace. And so I ask you, are you prepared to worship today? Would you please stand as we close our service? Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, all of us uh, are carrying burdens. Lord, you know them all. You know those things that we should just be setting down at the foot of the cross, leaving them for you to deal with. Lord, I just pray that none of these burdens that we carry around with us would keep us from seeking you. There'd be nothing that would keep us from you. Not how we worship, not when we worship, but that we would be determined to worship you because you are our God, you are our creator. You are our Redeemer, and you are worthy of all praise and honor. So, Lord, help us not to shrink back, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what sorrows or griefs, losses we're encountering. Even when other people walk away, may we remain steadfast, walking with you, trusting you, because... You're the only one to whom we can turn to who has all the answers. So Lord, help us to be faithful, praising you all along the way because you are our God. And you're the one who sustains us and upholds us and protects us and has blessed us beyond measure 
So Lord, help us not to lose sight of you in the midst of life, but to hold on to you all the more, clinging to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Oh God, help us here. But we know we can't do this in our own strength any more than David could or Jacob or the Apostle Paul. Lord, we learn from those men how they held on to you for dear life. May we do the same. Praising you, worshiping you with all prayer and thanksgiving for all that you are to us. So Lord, help us to lean into these things, not lean away. Help us to lean into you. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.